I'd love it if you have a Bible, if you turn to John's Gospel in chapter 13. And as we enter Easter week, I want to, um, I guess I want to frame it. I want to frame what's about to happen for us and what we, um, what we reflect on when we come to worship. You see, it's easy to go through the motions. We do the things that we do and, and we celebrate, but, but let's, let's think on this stuff. Uh, yesterday, I was uh, up in Inverness doing a wedding. It was beautiful. And uh, actually, I had a really weird experience. Um, I was driving down the A9, thinking, I've just got to get home, because the Masters Golf was on the TV. Uh, I just needed to get home. And uh, I'm thinking, I've got to get home. And I'm driving along, and Nick is next to me, and we're going through the Dromokta Pass on the A9. And I see this guy walking the other way, I mean, like, quite dangerously, really, along the side of the road. And I'm thinking, why, what, what's that, something broken down, or what's going on? But I was, I mean, I was going relatively quickly. And uh, I thought, that looks like Farshid. And I thought, it can't be Farshid. Why is Farshid doing it? I mean, he's broken down, what's going on? And I, I, I said, Nikki, that's Farshid. She said, no, it's not Farshid. And, uh, and so I, I, I thought, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I, I just arrived and said, Farshid, were you walking down the A9 yesterday? He said, yes. <laughs> I did think about turning around and picking you up, but the Masters Golf was on, so I had to get, I had to get out. I was doing a wedding, and um, how many of you have been to a wedding recently? Come on, interaction. I mean, some of you have been to weddings, I mean, like in the last few years. Let's try that. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and the wedding was wonderful. It had all the, every wedding is wonderful. But this was wonderful. It had all the ingredients of, of, of a wonderful wedding. You know, you think back to many great weddings. The weather was spectacular. The, the bridal car was iconic and only broke down once. The food was plentiful, as were the drinks. And everyone was happy, but not too happy. The dancing was wild, uh, but no one ended up in A&E. You know, the kind of wedding that is just wild enough, not quite. Uh, the speeches were funny and not over funny. You know what I mean? And um, you know, there's, always, there's always weird things that happen at weddings. Someone's granny always says to somebody inappropriately, this could be you next. And you go, mm, not appropriate, not helpful. Um, the boys were, the kids were misbehaved, but not overly misbehaved. You know, they're supposed to misbehave. And uh, we, we all sang Old Lang Syne at the end, and the boys had their ties on their heads. What is that? What, what, what goes on with, with, I don't know. There are literally hundreds of moments, maybe even thousands of moments, that go into people getting married, and lots of money, maybe even thousands of money, <laughs> that go into people getting married. But there is a moment in the middle of it, which is like the moment, it's why we're all here, when two people, before God and their friends, say, I love you. And they're not saying, as I say every, I've done hundreds of weddings, as I say every wedding, they're not saying, I feel love for you, although they kind of are. They're saying, I will love you. I will love you. I do love you, and I will love you. And at the very start of Easter week, that's, what, that's where I want to land. And that's where I, what I want to leave you with, really. It's very, very simple. John chapter 13, 
frames the whole of the rest of the Easter story. It's going to climax in the greatest sacrifice ever, the death of Jesus on the cross. And it's going to, it's going to climax in the, in the greatest victory ever, the victory of Jesus over the grave and over sin and death and hell. Not, we're going to celebrate all of that. But it's kind of contextualized and, and put in context by this story that, um, that John tells about love. He says, this, this is what it's all about. And you will know if you've hung around the Bible enough, you'll, you'll know that John chapter 13 through to John chapter 21 is, is, is kind of holy ground. I mean, all scripture is God-breathed, but this is kind of God's deep breath. This is where Jesus says to his followers, this is the stuff that you're going to carry into the world. You know, the rest of the things you're going to you're going to misunderstand and you're going to get some of the dates wrong and you're going to argue with each other about whether that happened here or here or here. But, but this stuff is the stuff that you're going to carry into the world. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. This is incredible. Just pause for a second. These guys are loved by God and they belong to God, but they are in this world. And what Jesus is saying is that you're going you're gonna to have to walk this really interesting walk and the walk you're going to have to walk is that you don't belong to this world because you belong to me, but you're going to be in this world. And the way you're going to handle that kind of tightrope walk is, is by understanding how loved you are. The whole context is a context of love. The evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, some of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter. He loves that. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath, I think this is him just going, Peter, come on. A person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. 
Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do these things. Now, this, this is really simple stuff. And, and at first reading, it's magnificently underwhelming. But, but what Jesus is doing here is in, in this prophetic act is he's saying, love is everything. This love, this love acted like this is what I've called you to. This is what it's all about. This is why you're, you're here. This is what the deal is. This is what I'm carrying, and this is what you're supposed to carry. Verse 2, John, John has combined two Greek words, the words eos and the word telos. And it gets translated for us um, the full extent, but it, but it could also mean, it probably means better, moving towards the end. In other words, the end goal of his love. This is it. In other words, Jesus is saying, everything I've been doing and everything I'm about to do, this is it. This is it. And it's kind of one of those moments when you go, wow, what's he going to do? What would you do if you were the son of God? You had all power, all authority, and uh, you were about to say to your followers who were about to take everything you were going to do, what would you, what would you do? Jesus, you know, me, I'd probably do a raising from the dead or something. Or I'd grow some legs on somebody. Or I'd do something just really crazy. And... But Jesus takes a towel and he washes his disciples' feet. And it's so disappointing. And it's so remarkable. Because what he's saying is, I need you to get that this is my love. I'm for people. I'm serving people, I'm washing people, I'm saving people, I'm stopping for people, I'm stooping for people. My love goes. My love is action. And, and in a few days it's gonna cost me everything, but right now it's gonna cost me my reputation and my convenience and my time. And, and, I, and I know you understand this, but you, 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 you have to get how ordinary and dirty this is. And I know this is going to sound rude, but your feet are revolting. I mean, they are. People say they love their feet. They don't really. They just, it's just relative stuff. And, and your husband or wife say, you've got beautiful feet. You haven't. It's all relative stuff. Feet are not the most, that's why you put socks and shoes on. <laughs> not just because it's comfortable, but because they are, they are, they are ugly things. And, 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 and back in the day, of course, the streets were dust bowls in the summer and um, quagmires in the winter, and all the time they were the sewers. So when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he's doing something filthy and disgusting that not even the lowest, that it was the lowest servant in the house who would do this, and almost never a Jewish servant who would do this. And Jesus stops. And what he's, what he's doing is saying, God loves like this. God stops like this. God stoops like this. God lowers himself like this. God inconveniences himself like this. God touches like this. This is what love is. 
this love goes. And, and we, we haven't got time this morning, but we, we have to get this. Because so often we haven't got this and we haven't communicated this. God is a lover, not a hater. And his love is different class. His love is undeserved love. It's, it's love that doesn't regard reputation love. It's love that inconveniences itself love. The, 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 the most famous scripture in the world, for God so loved the world, he didn't hate the world, he didn't endure the world, he didn't get through the world, he loves the world. And I, and I know his, his love is a real love, therefore it's not some kind of warm, soft, fuzzy, you know, weak love. It's a strong love, it's a truth love. And God disciplines us as well as, as, well as enables us, all that stuff because he's a good father, but, but at the heart of who he is, is love. He lavishes his love upon us. That's what we're about. It was this love that I needed. And it's this love the, the world around us needs. It's this love that Edinburgh needs. Of course it needs truth. But it needs love truth. <laughs> Because if you ever noticed, love truth is the only truth that anyone is ever going to listen to. The Muslim community needs love. The gay community needs, needs love. The academic community needs love. It doesn't, doesn't need a clever apologetic as to why we're right, they're wrong, and what opinion we have. The prisoners in prison need love, and the prisoners in their large houses in Morningside need love. And... The church bound by religion needs love and it needs this kind of love, demonstrated love, not theorized love, not talked about love. It God is love. And Jesus is God. And we are in Jesus. And this is his body. And the body loves. In fact, apparently the body is supposed to love better than any other organization or people on this planet. This body doesn't judge. Doesn't judge. This body doesn't judge. <laughs> I wish we would get this. Because Jesus, actually in the passage just before this, Jesus says, I don't come to judge you. The Father will judge and he talks about truths, and he, in his love, he says, you, you better get this, otherwise you will be judged. But he says, I don't judge. I wish we would get this. So much time wasted not being like Jesus. This love goes. And when it, when it goes, a whole pile of different things happens. I mean, you, you know, even, even with us. Young men, young mums who are frightened get wise support, and young men who have no idea get lovingly mentored, and the, the elderly get loved and visited and cared for, and, and those people who live in fear of debt get help from people who have conquered their fear with faith. And, and a million other things happen because this is normal Christianity. People practically loved. But that's not what I wanted to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the most important part of this passage. It's the interaction with Peter. And, and Jesus is saying, 
you need to get that not just this love goes, but this love flows. In other words, you can't give what you haven't got, and you need to stop trying. This is, this is huge. I think Jesus is saying to Peter, uh, none of this is going to be real in you unless, uh, unless you receive my love. Let me love you. And what he's saying is you can't do this, although it sounds remarkable, unless you receive the love of God, unless you constantly, dynamically receive the love of God. You see, this church is not here and I'm not here to translate the love of God or even to represent it to other people. In other words, I'm, I'm not here and you're not here to work up some love, to get really loving and go and produce some love out there because it will be dysfunctional, it won't last very long and then you'll burn out. My job is to channel his love and to be a conduit of his love. And, and, and when you begin to understand that, it becomes a game changer. Because here's the thing, people don't want my love. Because my love is, is not loving enough. I mean, Farshid's is, but mine, not so much. My, my, my truth is not true enough. My patience is not patient in, in, enough. My kindness is not kind enough. It's, my love is not selfless enough. And too often my love is transactional even when I pretend it's not. You know, I, 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 I love because I get something out of, out, of, out of loving you. But his love is perfect, it's patient, it's kind, it's healing. My, my job is to channel his love. The best part of me is Jesus. In other words, you don't want, you don't want me, me. You want Jesus, me. And, and the problem is, for so many of us, we run around being me, me. And wondering why it doesn't work quite so well. And wondering why we get frustrated. And wonder why we get offended. And wonder why we defend ourselves. And wonder why it's clunky. And wonder why it works for a season and then doesn't work afterwards. You, you don't want yesterday, Jesus, me, even. You want today, Jesus, me. In other words, you don't want stale love. You want... Fresh love. You want this kind, kind of love. And Jesus says, you need a filling. Listen, and it has to be current and dynamic. So Jesus comes to Simon Peter and, and, and wants to wash his feet. And Peter is offended by Jesus. I mean, this is just the reading of the scripture. He's just, just offended. Uh, and, and it's easy to judge, isn't it? Again, I, I might be offended as well by Jesus. You shall never wash my feet. That's a very dangerous thing to say to the Son of God. No, <laughs> you shall never wash my feet. And then Jesus responds in one of those really scary verses of Scripture. There are lots of them, aren't there? You will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you, etc., etc., Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. In other words, you can't give it until you've received it. You can't give me if you're not part of me. You can't do it. You can't fix it. You can't run it. You can't solve it. You can't make it up. And this is dreadfully offensive in our culture because we've been brought up to think we probably can. Oh, we definitely ought to try. Let me love you. 
Jesus says. It's just a ridiculous thing. He says, the thing I'm asking you to do above anything else, you can't do. And that's the thing. Because it's all of grace. Stop, stop trying to love people with your love. And let me love you with mine. And then let's see what happens. And that's a real problem for me. If I'm honest. Because there are two, I mean, you may not be a problem for you, but it's a problem for me. It's a problem for me because I'm, I was brought up to be an independent guy, and I know that I'm a disqualified guy. So I've got these two things warring in, 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 inside of me. I was brought up to think, and I had a great uh, upbringing, but I was brought up to think that when I grew up, which is the weird dynamic, isn't it? When I grew up, I had to grow up, I would stand on my own two feet. And I'd be able to look after myself, and, and maybe one day I'd be able to look after somebody else, and then maybe one day we would be able to look after some little other, other people. And there is something in our culture and something in our upbringing that wires us for independence. And um, we can do it ourselves. We don't need other people. And if we can't, we just kind of, this, it's why we get locked down so often, because we know we can't, but we know we're supposed to. And it's where Ikea makes all this money from, you know? I, I've told you this before, but you know, most people go into an Ikea store, buy flat pack furniture, and the, the top of the flat pack furniture, there's a piece of paper like this with instructions, and if you're a real person, you do that to it and go, I mean, there are only 10 screws and four bits of wood, and how hard can this be? You know, it's just, and, and that's why that everybody I know has a, a jar of screws from Ikea on a shelf somewhere that's doing this and, 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 and broken down. Because we're wired to go, how hard can this be? We should be able to fix it. And then, of course, Ikea make loads of money because in two years' time you have to go and buy a new shelving unit because you didn't obey the instructions first time. And it's one thing if it's a shelving unit, but it's another thing if it's the whole, the whole of your life. You're going, I can fix this, I can handle it, I can run it. And it causes this internal breakdown of lives because you know you can't. And if you, if you, if you align that with the fact that you're, you also know that you're disqualified to receive love, that's really difficult. You see, it's easy to see these disciples as not being worthy, isn't it? You read the passage and you think, well, Peter was frequently wrong but never in doubt. He's not worthy. He's arrogant. He's prideful. You shouldn't wash me. And Judas, so he's going to deny Jesus. We know that. And Judas is going to betray Jesus. We know that. And so we're thinking they're, they're, they're not worthy. What's Jesus even doing washing their feet? But um, here's the problem. In an even greater way, I'm aware of how unworthy I am. Because I get to live with me. And I get to live with me trying to be independent and trying to fix it and not being able to. And I get to live with me with my brokenness. And I see my denial of Jesus actually on a daily basis. And I see my betrayal of Jesus even when I judge people and exclude people and take offense and defend myself. And, and he washes his disciples' feet and he wants to wash mine. And here's the thing, I'm not sure I can let him. Because my feet are too dirty. And so I don't let him wash me. So I don't flow with his love. 
So I get offended really easily. So I feel not defended by him, so I defend myself. And then I end up offending everyone around me. And then, and then I try and organize love because I know it's the right thing to do. It just doesn't feel like love. And we say, you shall never wash my feet and we keep the savior of the world at arm's length because of pride. And we miss out on love and we don't know how to love. And we who were created for intimacy have settled for proximity. And then we wonder why it all feels clunky and judgy and less than we hoped for. Well, it's because we made it a religion. <laughs> and then we find in our hearts that it's a very empty thing. And then it's easy to become judgy because we see other people enjoying their relationship with Jesus and we know we kind of should and we can't. We think it must be hard. It's supposed to be hard, isn't it? You know, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow on with Christian soldiers. And then we become sad and mad and blame God. But he just says, let me wash you. Let me love you. Stop striving and stop hiding. Pro proximity is not the same as intimacy. And I love the fact that Peter gets it. And Peter says, well, <laughs> give me a bath then. In other words, I didn't get it, but now I totally get it. And I'm all, I'm all in and shower me up. And <laughs> Jesus says, you're clean, but let me wash your feet. In other words, yeah, I know you get it. But this needs to be dynamic and current, not historic and passive. Let me wash you. And, and you know, I will, I will land the plane. <laughs> this is genius stuff. Because I think Jesus is saying, if I wash you, let's flip it. If I wash you, then you have a part of me. You are part of me. If I wash you, if you, if you let me love you, you will then share in the security that I have. I know what, who I am, and I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going to. The Father's house is my home. The Father's love is my security. What the Father calls me is my identity, and it can be yours if you let me love you. If I wash you, you get to share in my activity and my authority and my power just by loving people in front of you. And then it changes the world. Proximity is not the same as intimacy. Jesus says, let me love you. I've done um, maybe 300 weddings. And um, the thing I get accused of, and there is truth in it, is I only have five sermons. I mean, there are things that get changed, but basically... Yeah, there is truth in that. And one of the things that, uh, I, I, there are some funny things that, oh, I think they're funny. There are some funny things that I do at, at, um, at sermons. And I, I love to, uh, some of the advice that children give about love. I love some of those, those things. And um, so I often trot them out. And I think the people that accuse me of having used it before love it. 
John, age seven, when talking about love, said this. It isn't always how you look. Look at me. I'm handsome like anything, and I haven't got anyone to marry me yet. Uh, Gavin, aged eight, why do lovers hold hands? They want to make sure their rings don't fall off because they pay good money for them. <laughs> but my favorite is this, Andy, age nine. Love will find you even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since the age of five, but the girls keep finding me. <laughs> I think, I think the passage of Scripture and Jesus' prophetic demonstration says this. Let love find you. Let yourself be found by love. Because you'll never flow with it unless you let him fill you. Let's pray. So... Father, we love you, and we recognize that your DNA is love. Jesus, we love you, and we recognize the demonstration of love that was your life and is your life. And Holy Spirit, we love you, and we ask now that you would come and fill us afresh with the love of God. Wash us, heal us, forgive us, and restore us. We ask this in Jesus' name.